0: I think it was the theologians who first started the idea. Later, the philosophers took it over, and now some of the scientists are doing the same. What you are comes out in what you do. You see the point? Out of ourselves and into Christ, we must go. This is Chats Under the Sun with Jacob Falk. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And we're recording. Let's see, we're good. Lawrence. Yes. I'm excited to do this. We've been trying to do this for a while. Yeah. I think it's we, my fault. Yeah. We had plans to try and get this done last uh semester when I was mm-hmm. here and then it just didn't didn't fall through. Yeah. But so
1: glad to be here now though.
0: Yeah. I think we're maybe the couple of passable Dutch people. Me less so than there you. you go. But you're you're an authentic uh, Dutchman.
1: Yeah, you have a Dutch last name.
0: I do. That works. Our, and I've all the genetics of a of a real Dutch right. person. But uh not the uh not the birthplace, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, but, sad. Yeah. But if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. That's, I, uh, I said that phrase to, uh, to Matt Boswell when, when he, he started playing. He's like, Volk, where is that from? Is that Swedish? And I was like, no, that's uh, Dutch. And he talked to me how his wife is actually Dutch. Oh, really? And, uh, and then I told him, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. And <laughs> he, he got a kick out of that. So, that's good. Yeah. Dude, tell me, um, what's it like coming here from Holland? The Netherlands.
1: Wow, yeah. So that's number one. You say the Netherlands, not Holland. Yeah. (laughs) Because technically Holland is only two provinces. Yeah. No, I really don't care, but when I introduce myself, I'll say the Netherlands.
0: Yeah. Do you have people who don't know what that is?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Professors. Professors? I had a professor say, I will not say his name. That would be embarrassing, but he responded. He's like, wait, what is is that? Is that in Britain or?
0: Oof.
1: Yeah. And then I said, well, no, it's the country where Amsterdam is the capital of... And he was like, oh, so it's in Am- Amsterdam. Like, no, Amsterdam is the capital. So, yeah, we're not very famous no. here. But. Made
0: a few good theologians, though. There you go. Bavinck was Dutch Reformed. Yep, Herman Bavinck. Uh, yeah, uh, which is, I know you're a fan. of. I don't think I've seen you without a Bavinck book in your hand yet mm. at this point. The um, uh Voss, I think, too, was Dutch yeah. Reformed,
1: too. So, Voss was, yeah, was Dutch, but he was in the U.S. and it was at Princeton. Okay. So I think a lot of his writings were all in English originally. Right, right. But he was Dutch, yeah. Herman Bavink and Voss were friends, actually. Really? Uh, I think Voss translated some of Herman Bavinck's works to English.
0: Oh, I didn't so, know that. I I'm rusty as heck on uh, on my on that era of church history.
1: That's all right. I mean, until I came here to the U.S. to study at Southern, I didn't en- I didn't know any of this. Same. I didn't know Bavinck at all until so, I came here. It's. I mean, it's it's mainly because the guys here are. Like you know these these old Dutch theologians are amazing. <laughs> you should read them, and I'm like, oh, let me let me grab them and read them in Dutch.
0: Yeah. yeah, uh, man, I have so many questions about I have so many questions about language just mm. in general, but but tell me first, like, tell me your story from uh, from the Netherlands to here and, and what that all looks like for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, how far back do you want to go?
0: Uh, actually, I'm interested in when when did you decide that theological education was mm. something like or, or, or pastoring work? When mm. did that kind of come into your orbit?
1: Right. So, um, well, I think it started when, when the Lord opened my eyes to my sin and convicted me through His Spirit and brought me into His kingdom. Uh, right at that point, I knew that um, the gospel is so radical and it, it is so important and it, it changes so much in our lives that I knew my life was going to change radically and that it had to and that god was going to do it and he did um i mean my the verse that they gave me when i was baptized i, I mean i know a lot of other people that got the same verse so I, it's not yeah. like i <laughs> feel like that was anything special but the verse is very uh i think very applicable is it, it, philippians 1 6 mm. you know and and it, it talks about how god will complete the work that he has begun in his saints on the day of christ and that's just the verse has always st- stuck with me, um, and just describes my life, and I guess the life of every Christian. Um, so I knew I knew things are gonna change, mm. um, and because it for me was such a, it was kind of like one of those bigger conversion experiences. Mm. Tell me about I mean, it. It was not like I was, you know, I was was on drugs and 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 being all the way, you know. Uh, lost in the world in that sense, um, but I mean I was dead in my sins, and I grew up in a christian family uh, faithful Christian parents um, I was part of a brethren church mm-hmm. um, and i mean they they preached the gospel there, but at the same time i 'm living in a country where we 're kind of like the it 's kind of the generation the the post post christian generation mm. so you 're living in a, in a in a culture where we're over fifty percent of the people uh, would describe themselves as non-religious. Right. Um, so that's what, what you're growing up in, and so you're kind of forced to think about: wait, is this all, a, you know, just one big delusion? Mm-hmm. Uh, is what my parents believe is that actually true? Is that describing reality? Um, and then just living, you know, living in a world where. There's just a lot of enticements, and mm. so, so I started to live kind of a double life. So I, 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 on the one hand, knew how to answer the questions at church, and I would be able to satisfy my parents, but at the same time, you know, going out with my friends in the weekends um, was just, you know, living a life of, of sin. And I told myself that, you know, I was a Christian. That I, when I was 12, I said yes to God, so I believed in Jesus. Historically, that he died mm. and that he, you know, paid the penalty for my sins. So I thought I, I have my ticket to heaven. You know, mm. I'm good. Even though, it, like, you know, living this way, I felt or something yeah. not right about that. But at the same time, I I didn't care enough. Um, it Didn't really hurt in that sense. You know, I just knew it's like ah, it's not good, but whatever. You know, I, I'm having fun. Yeah. And I can keep everyone happy, you know, and this is fine. My parents think I'm, I'm good and my church thinks I'm good and my friends that are living in the world thinks I'm good. So yeah. I'm having a great life uh, until I, um, I attended this small, so I had a, a good friend at church. He invited me to come to this uh, camp, small Christian camp in the Netherlands. Um, one of the few like places where I think they faithfully still preach the gospel in, in, in the country. And um, I just thought, oh, I want to go because it sounds fun. They're playing all these sports all day, all week. Yeah, That's what my friend told me. Like, this is what we're yeah. doing at camp. You should come. It's just a lot of fun. So I thought, yeah, let's do it. And um, so I went there, and there was a preacher, and he preached like I'd never heard it before. And he preached on 1 John, and he got to 1 John 2, um, and he spoke of... Verses 15 to 17, where it talks about loving the world and the things that are in the world. And how, if that's you, the love of the Father is not in you. And this was the moment that the Holy Spirit just convicted me. You are not a Christian. The love of the Father is not in you. Because what what, what 1 John 2 is describing is exactly your life. These are the things you love. And it says, the love of the Father is not in you, if this is the case. And... That was the moment that the Lord started to change my heart, and um, I started to realize I need to repent of my sin. And it, it took a couple of months, um, but the guy who preached told me, uh, and my friends, the two other friends that were also very much touched by that, I don't know where they exactly were, if they were already Christians, or, mm. um, but he invited us to come over to his house every weekend and just ask him whatever question we had about what we were reading in the Bible. Oh, man, that's fantastic. Yeah. That was, I mean, we've done that for three years um, after that. And every week we would go there, almost every week. And he would tell us, um, I'm not going to prepare anything. Just mm. read your Bible and write down a question. And come, come with questions. And he knew his Bible in and out. Um, and he would just flip to different passages and try to show us from the scriptures what the answers to our questions were. Mm. And... This just ignited a light in my heart, and he, you know, he even in the beginning when I don't know where, where exactly I was at, you know, he he, he told us things like, um, if you if you know the Lord is convicting you, uh, but you you feel like you just don't want to, you just don't want to give up, you know, your your sinful life, you don't want to give up your sins. He told us, you know, that's that's okay for now. Just pray that the Lord changes that, and I did that, you know, I I prayed like I. Lord, I, I don't want to give up this life. I don't, but I know I have to. Yeah. I know you're more, you know, it's like, I know he's more valuable. I know I need to do this. I know that the promises are true. So the Holy Spirit was working through that. And three months later, I was baptized. So, That's fantastic. So that was a, a big change in my life. Um, and I started realizing that a lot of what, a lot of Christianity that was still left in the Netherlands um, was, Kind of going with the with the waves of culture and mm. kind of given up what they believed. And a lot of the kids in my school who came from Christian families, I mean, I think weren't Christians. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I realized it at that time, but even now more so, I knew that something happened to me that I thought that all these other a lot of these other people didn't experience, and they weren't striving for holiness. They weren't reading their Bibles. They weren't. Having their minds being informed by what God says about the world, but it was culture that defined it. Right. And so I started to understand and see. Well, if you're if you're born in a Christian family, does it mean necessarily that you're a Christian? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Right. So anyway, that's that's a lot to say. That you know, it, it became clear to me that um, the gospel changes everything, and just that reality and 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 you know being with my spiritual mentor, uh, Bram Gauman is his name, I just wanna shout that out. Yeah. Um, Just give me a love for the scriptures, a love for the truth, um, a love for holiness and evangelism. I mean, I'm absolutely not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the Lord was through his spirit working on me, and I just wanted to share it with other people. Cool. So me and a friend of mine, we just started all these kind of small initiatives at school had a Bible study. We started the Bible study um, uh, when I when I went to college. At our house, um, we we started a, a, a blog online, trying to teach people. Um, so all these all these smaller initiatives, which I think the Lord was kind of preparing me to start considering ministry. Gotcha. And then three and a half years ago. I visited Southern with a friend of mine. I wasn't at this point I wasn't convinced about going to seminary, right. but he was. He was like, "Hey, you want to come with me to the US and just, you know, be there <laughs> for this little trip for, uh, for 6 pond. weeks?" <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And then I visited Southern among some other schools. And I was here and I was like, "Wow. I did, you know, I realized this is what I want to do. I want to train for ministry and you know, serve the people of God. And mm. I think this is a great place to do that." And um, the Lord provided, and that's how I came here.
0: Crazy. Yeah. Uh, and, and vocational ministry, that's, that's kind of your path?
1: Yes. Do you think? Yeah, I think I aspire to pastor. I aspire to go back to the Netherlands and um, hopefully plant or revitalize a church hmm. and teach others to do the same. Cool. So talk
0: to me about, because um, we've, we've had a couple conversations about this, what is the state of the church like in Netherlands, or at least mm-hmm. your experience of it?
1: Right. Well, I, I want to start by saying, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that are wrong and are sad mm. uh, about the state of the church in the Netherlands. But I want to start by saying uh, the Lord always preserves, you know, mm. like with Elijah, there are always 7,000 left. Mm. And I have to say, I've been encouraged over the past months by things that I've heard from friends and, and ministries I'm working with back home of what is happening. Right. The Lord is... Calling people to himself is waking them up to good, sound teaching. Um, there, there are amazing initiatives going that use a lot of like Desiring God, TGC, Nine mm-hmm. Marks content like that, and translate that. And and people are waking up to good teaching, um, and and so that's encouraging. The Lord is working, and but on the other hand, it it is true that again, like it's like fifty-five percent of the country would would describe themselves as non-religious mm. and we traditionally are a very protestant country right. and you know it was basically i we we still have a king our yeah. royal house is still officially christian yeah, yeah. um there are, there are beautiful churches everywhere you know like we talked about there are great theologians mm. that wrote amazing uh theologies especially yep. in, in the field of systematic theology biblical theology mm. and we had amazing schools, like the the Free University of Amsterdam, uh, started by Abraham Kuyper. Uh, so so we have a great heritage. And yeah. in light of that, it's kind of sad to see what happened yeah. to the country. Yeah.
0: And, and this is so interesting to me and probably interesting to a lot of the people who are listening is because that's culturally my entire background, mm. right? It's like from all sides of my family, the, you know, within a couple of ge- generations back, right. they all end up in the, the Netherlands, mm. right? Right. So I still have some distant family who are living in, in Leiden, and well, yeah. and and yeah, you can you can go back and, and just see and a lot of them left after after World War Two, right? Right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just, it's interesting thinking through because it's funny because back home we still refer to ourselves as Dutch reformed. Mm. Right. And, and there's problems with that sometimes. Like, I mean, keeping an ethnicity when you're not there anymore mm. can be can, can be hard for witnessing, actually, because you're asking people right. to come into a cultural context when you should just be at church, right? Mm. That's its own conversation. Right. But, yeah.
1: Yeah, so and I think it's inter- interesting to mention, I, I did not grow up in the Dutch Reformed Church. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and there are a lot of, I mean, the Netherlands... There are just a lot of denominations, and mm-hmm. I think we have, like, three words to translate the word Reformed with. <laughs> really? Because all these denominations are claiming, we are the Reformed Church. Right, right. And so, we have different words for that. Huh. Um, and, and I'm not super familiar with the whole history of how yeah. all those denominations Dude, came to be. It's complicated, man. It, it is.
0: You've got, like, Christian Reformed and then split with the Free Reformed yep. Church and and all kinds of stuff like that. And a lot of that moved, actually, like, yeah. a lot of that that those stuff that happened in the Netherlands moved directly over into mm. Canada wow. and and then continued on and then like there's the UR the United Reformed Church right. which was a split later on and it's a big complicated mm. web of that's all going yeah. on in, in in like especially Grand Rapids Michigan and uh, and uh, southern Ontario mm. like huge all of those churches are all there wow. and a lot of the similar ones are back uh, back across the pond
1: yeah so. yeah it's and it, it's a little sad to look at the history in the sense that what happened was all these different denominations started their own newspapers, their own TV channels. Mm. Um, so yeah. we got a very almost like a segregated society where all these dis- different denominations would only interact with themselves, and you know it, only only their denomination. For for a lot of them was yeah. like the, we are the true church, yeah. and all these other ones are the are the fake churches. Right. Uh, but it, but it became very cultural. Mm. Um, and then you mentioned the Second World War. After the Second World War, a lot of Christians moved out of the cities. Um, we have our own little Bible Belt. It's, really? It's, that's what we call it. It's, it's kind of like a belt around the big cities. Yeah. And those are like towns where still today the most of the Christians live. Huh. Um, I didn't know that. And, and, and there are, you know, there are genuine Christians there, and there are th- some thriving churches which preach the gospel, praise the Lord. But there's a lot of uh, cultural Christianity, right? Um, and a lot of so so cultural Christianity, but also in, a, in in a way that a lot of these more traditional Reformed churches um, they value what what it seems from the outside. A lot of them value more so staying in that 17th century look and feel mm. than actually reaching people. With the truth of the gospel, so they would say that, and, and I, I don't doubt their intentions. But they, there's this whole cultural import that they think is necessary to mm. even do today. Like, yeah. so when you step in, if you're, you know, if you're a total secular person and you walk into a church like that, it feels like you're you're going back in time. You don't understand the words they're saying. You don't know mm. what they're doing. You know, they speak this kind of KGV Dutch, yeah, uh, for the lack of a better term. Um, so, so, and, and it's, it is, in a lot of ways, very cultural. Um, but again, I, I believe there are still, hell, you know, yeah. real Christians there. There's still um, people that trust the Lord for their salvation in those churches. Yeah. But it's, it's hard to see how that is sustainable. A lot of the young people in those churches leave those churches. Um, I mean, theologically, you can make some observations, too, you know. Um, but but those and this is in the towns where where there's still Christians left and right. and in most of the rest of the country you just don't have mm. a lot of Christians at all. Yeah.
0: So a lot of these um, a lot of these churches would they all be um baby like infant baptizing baby sprinklers? Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Because the the what's the what's the Baptist Reformed pres- presence? Because here that's huge. Clearly, yeah. we're in, we're in it doesn't exist. Yeah. So and back home where I am, I mean, there's mm. Baptist churches. But there's no and they would hold reformed doctrines, right. but there's not much intersection yeah. between our communities and, and theirs. Right. E- even if we get along perfectly fine. For yeah. The, well, for the most part.
1: So in the Netherlands, it's 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 almost like you have this traditional old reformed, which mm-hmm. is always Paedo-Baptist, Presbyterian, or Arminian, modern, evangelical right. Baptist. And that camp, most of it is more liberal theology mm. um, sometimes look and feel, looks and feels like more American Christianity but it's really small it's not a lot and um, sometimes you, you know there, there are some some of these more big what we would call mega church like here it wouldn't be called a mega church but for mm. Dutch proportions it would be mega church in those towns where there are a lot of those traditional churches they would start a church like that which is very modern which is sounds very you know, there's, there's a stage and there's a, mm-hmm. a gifted speaker and you kind of more of an American look and feel. I'm not, not saying that's inherently wrong, um, <laughs> but, but the teaching is also very watered down, right, sadly. Right. And, and what happens <coughs> in, in those cities is that a lot of people who are disappointed in the traditional church will go to the, those churches. Right. So they plant those, They start those churches in towns where the Christians where, where the Christians already are, Yeah. culturally at least. Right, and so those churches thrive in the sense that a lot of people come,
0: yeah. and that's tough because building a building a church on the backs of people who are frustrated with traditionalism is not a great recipe, right. right? Yeah,
1: so you know you could go to the church like that and be like, oh, it seems like this this this, this is a movement, this is going, but you know ninety ninety five percent of the people that you talk to joined that church from another church, um, and again, this is in cities. This is in the Bible Belt. Yeah. Outside of that, sadly, uh, is not a lot of, you know, an if- initiative happening. There's not a lot of church plans. Yeah. There's not a lot of gospel movements. Um, again, there is a remnant. Yeah. There are things happening, but overall, it's it's dying out. Right. Right.
0: What's well, the population of uh, of the Netherlands? Seventeen million. Seventeen million. Okay. That's right. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I'd be really interested. I don't know if you'll ever get the chance to come. Um, to come up to Canada and see some of the churches there. Yeah, that'd be if you, fun. If you ever do, I'd love to mm. to see what you think. Yeah, we should. Cuz there's it, there's I think there's like there's commonalities between mm. kind of what you're describing and and there and also differences. Mm. Cuz there are some really like some really awesome churches right. like from some of the ones that I'm from from like kids who are kids like I'm kind of throwing myself in that mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Younger people who are just passionate about good theology, mm. passionate about holy living, passionate about you know becoming leaders right. and it's really cool to see yeah. but i also think we do struggle with with the cultural mm. dutch reformed right. th- thing that that's still are because we i mean we still mm. have those you know like uh and and trying to figure out how to get that balance right mm. of, of not being ashamed of where we come from right. but also like uh, taking things that are inessential mm. to worship or the glory of god right. and allowing to and letting those go in in exchange for yeah. There's a really tough balance there, but yeah. we still uh, uh, what's the? There's still the one song we sing at Christmas. We've only recently stopped doing it primarily in Dutch. Uh, er is a god? How god? How's it go? Uh, yeah.
1: do you, do you oh, Ere is good, Yeah. yeah. Uh, er is god. Yeah. Er is Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So, so we, there's no, there's not an English version of that, is there?
0: Uh, I mean, they made one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it rhymes. Okay. <laughs> but we so <laughs> that's for, a beautiful song. For yeah, yeah, yeah. For most of my life, actually, in Canada, we. That that's the one time. Wow, one awesome. time we would sing that in Dutch um, on, on Christmas, that's and cool. I, only the last couple of years, I think they've switched to kind of primarily singing it mm. in in English. Although I think a lot of that, I, and I think this is more just for some of the older Dutch people, and, and God bless them. Right, we can sing it. Right. A, we can sing a song yeah. in Dutch once or twice a that's year. That's awesome. That's
1: cool. That's really cool. So, yeah, yeah. I just want to add, like, I don't know. I, I would love to. Think more yeah. about what 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 caused all this. You know mm. what, what caused the Netherlands from being such a thriving Christian nation. Almost, I mean, <laughs> Kuiper was our prime minister at one point. Right. Um, to what, what where we Ki- are. What was Kuiper kicking around? This was uh, uh, end of the nineteenth century, beginning okay. of the twentieth. Um, I, I haven't done enough research and mm. looked into it enough to see what you know what were some what were the things that happened and and. Um, I mean, I, I can make some observations theologically, um, you know, e- ecclesiologically. I, I, I'm not a Presbyterian. Uh, I do not believe in mm. pedo-baptism. I think those things definitely play into it. Um, the way you look at culture and how to engage culture, uh, definitely some things that I can see just, you know, yeah. from here. I'm like, yeah, that, that might have caused a lot of that. But I haven't done enough mm. research into it to, to really know sure. why the things happen as they did. But I mean, it's a trend in, in Western Europe. Yeah. Uh, where, where just secularizing and Christians mm. are.
0: I wonder if that even explains a lot of it, right? Just the. A lot of Europe is going mm. in that direction. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I think there's even like. I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. I think France might be France. And there's a few countries that are like almost dipping to the point of unreached nations. Yes. Which yep. is a, incredible. Absolutely.
1: Both France and, and Belgium, for sure. Mm. There, there, are probably more countries, but Sweden. Yeah, yeah, which absolutely. Is, which
0: is incredible if to think of start sending missionaries mm. to Western countries. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: but what was the uh, what was the switching gears? What was the podcast that you were doing back there? What was that initiative? <laughs> yeah, I love so, how you use that word initiative a bunch of times. to Yeah, encourage stuff
1: for sure. No, so what? You know, when I was back home, I and and I came to Christ. I did sense this, this longing, aspiration to, to teach others and to, um, to show them those amazing things, those glorious things that I was seeing in, in the Word of God. And that's what we started doing. We started you know, starting Bible studies and, and we had this platform, articles, and we merged with another ministry that was doing kind of a similar thing, translating a lot of Desiring God's articles, TGC, uh, content, and we came up with this idea of just starting a podcast. And so we, we rec- just before I came here, we recorded like 13 episodes uh, talking about just very basic but very important topics, like how do you read your Bible? Um, you know, who, who who is God and who is the Holy Spirit? Mm. Um, things like how do you engage culture? Um, how do we grow in holiness? You know, just, just those very fundamental topics that were so important for, for me and then yeah, some friends that we were doing this with. And we were like, we want to we teach others about this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we recorded some episodes and um, it's, yeah, I think people are liking it. Um, mm. Praise God. We can, we can see that, you know, people want to learn, they're hungry for it. And that's just really encouraging to see. Yeah. yeah
0: for sure and then you're uh you're here at southern mm-hmm. um, what uh tell me about the translation work that you do for nine marks yeah that's that's pretty cool that's pretty interesting and
1: now now i'm i'm going to show my true callers that i'm a nine marxist <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that what they call themselves
1: or I, they, I like well, the term I'm, <laughs> Nine Marxists. I'm obviously not a marxist, but I like the idea of a nine marxist which has nothing to do with marxism. Uh, coming from a oh, almost Marxist goodness. country, I, I do not uh, hey, support you, you that. Just, just to be clear, <laughs> uh, Canada's not uh, you know. right. Hot, hot take: Our countries but, are going down the tubes. You better, you better watch out. Yeah, no, right. But uh, no, so yeah, I I um, I love Nine Marks, and Nine Marks has been kind of. It's almost like you know, the Lord has been using Bram Gauman in my life, my spiritual mm. mentor, up to a certain <clears> point. And then as an amazing blessing through in resources by Nine marks, which, which opened my eyes to a lot more. So kind of to explain, um, you know, we, we, I was being taught from the scriptures about holiness, about uh, evangelism, you know, very important things, I think. Mm. So, so, you know, my spiritual mentor was really encouraging us to, even though we didn't have a healthy church or... Um, had a lot of good preaching in our churches to strive after holiness, to read our Bibles, to be a gospel witness, mm-hmm. and and that was awesome. And that's you know that's that's how a lot of my practical practical Christian living changed yeah. and, and happened. But I I did have the question: How does this relate to the church? Um, and I. Just being on Desiring God's website, reading their articles, I stumbled upon a video where this guy, Mark Dever, was preaching. And it just, the the video is called How to Kill a Church. I think it's a, it's a a small clip from a sermon he preached. And it just gripped me, the way he was preaching, and I wanted to hear more. So I started listening more to, to his sermons, and I found out about Nine Marks, this organization that he started, started to read their books. And kind of started to see that everything that happened in my Christian life uh, – praise God by, by His grace uh, – happened, but it happened in a way that was almost outside of the usual means mm. that God uses. Mm. Um, if, you, if you read the New Testament, um, these things were supposed to happen or, or, you know, of course, God will transcend those things and He will, in His grace, uh, even work through the most unexpected means. But he has given us, in the New Testament, a model for how these things ought to happen. And the normal way is through local churches. Um, And so, you know, my growth in holiness, uh, evangelism, um, baptism, I started to see, like, the New Testament has a lot to say about those things, and they're all connected to the church. And not just this vague universal idea of church, but local church. and. So I started reading a lot of Nine Marks and started to love it. And um, being uh, working together with this ministry that was doing a lot of translation work, um, the guy who was leading that also loved Nine Marks. And so I suggested, hey, I'm done with my undergrad, looking for a job. Uh, I would love to translate some of these books because I think it would be great if they are available in Dutch. So how did, how did that come about? Did you like shoot them an email or...? I, I knew the guy because we had an initiative that was kind of similar, a little okay. smaller than his, and he, he would love to work with us because he saw... So, so this was a guy who's already in contact with Nine Marks. Yes. yes. Okay. So he already and knew them. This is in the Netherlands. This is in okay. the Netherlands. That's right. Uh, he was reaching a little different audience in the Netherlands than we were. We were more focused at, let's say, the Evangelical Baptist side, whereas mm-hmm. he was more in the traditional churches. Yeah. But we agreed on... 99% like, and, and, you know, big God theology, kind of what Desiring God and John Piper embodies. That's what we both really yeah, love. Yeah. And, and, and we loved uh, Mark Dever and his ministry. And we thought this is what the, the Bible is teaching about church and about ecclesiology. And so he was, when I was talking to him, he was, he was talking about nine marks and talking about how he would love to translate those books. And I was like, well, I would love to do that. Would you, Would you want me to? do that and pay me a little bit for it. Yeah. So I started doing that before I came to seminary and I'm still once in a while through, through the studying and everything, uh, still trying to do that. Working on a, an, a non nine marks book right now. Okay. Um, but which, what, what
0: book are you working on now? Translating?
1: Uh, it's uh, what is biblical theology by Dr. Jim Hamilton. Fun. Good stuff. So, yeah. So that's kind of how I rolled into that. And now it, it, it is, I think the amazing thing is that I, when I started translating those books, I didn't know that I was going to be able to go to seminary. Hmm. Um, I didn't know what my path was going to be. I was just trying to be faithful in whatever next thing the Lord would give. But now, um, praise the Lord, I can see how hopefully in the future when I go back, I can use these very resources that I translated in, lo- in the local church and right. hopefully to minister well to the people and. Um, help them see what God's vision is for the church.
0: Sure. That's awesome. Walk me through I'm I'm super interested in, in translations. Mm. So what how do you go about that? Like you get a book from like let's say this latest book from Jim Hamilton that mm-hmm. you've got. W- how do you start that whole process? How do you get your head head in that space? What, what yeah. do you do?
1: Well, so the the what I tried my I just made the you know on the go made this up mm-hmm. which just works for me. Uh, is I just have two tabs open. I have got the text, and, you know, the original, and then a, just a word document. And I just read it, and whatever comes up in my mind is a first rough translation. I'll I'll type it out and just go through it, trying to be, try to stay close to whatever the original says. And then I'll close the original, and I will go through my rough translation without looking at the original, trying to like kind of shape the sentences, make them sound better, try to, you know, kind of the art of making it into a readable, g- readable yeah. and into a, you know, a, a little bit uh, more engaging, yeah. maybe, maybe change some of the, of the nuances, some of the, um, illustrations that might not come across from language to language, right. uh, those kind of things. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a trained translator, so I'm, I'm learning a lot by doing it. And there's some other people that will go over it and help me okay. so make you, it better. You
0: have, a, you have a quote unquote checking team?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That. So multiple people doing that. Okay. Because
0: obviously your grasp of English is perfect, mm, right? Like you can you. speak English fine. And Dutch is your first language? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. How, how is Dutch structured as a language that's really vague? But is it, does it have, like, declensions? Like, is it, like, German? Oh, a I'm,
1: I'm, I'm really bad at all the grammatical terms. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I just know that um, there is less there's less flexibility in uh, sentence order. Okay. So it, it really depends on the author of the book, whether my translation experience is going to be good or not, <laughs> because people just have the tendency to write in a certain order. And in English, right. you just have more freedom in that. Okay. Interesting. And so some authors, you know, I can go very quickly going through it. Other, with others, it just takes a lot of time because I, you continually need to shuffle the words around to make them coherent in Dutch. Right. So that's been a, a challenge sometimes uh, in the difference in language uh, to work that out. But then, at the, on the uh, you know, on the other hand, English, German, Dutch are all Germanic languages, so yep. there are a lot of similarities, mm. which makes makes the process of translation just a lot easier than. Say you know, translating English to Korean or or, yeah. oh or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's for sure.
0: Interesting. Um, what, uh, is there something that people might not realize is extra frustrating or interesting about the translation? Like what what people because I, I when I think of a translation, I would think of roughly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But is there any weirdisms that come up that people wouldn't really think about? Uh,
1: I mean, I think the most issues I, I have are. Come down like illustrations, okay uh, I mean uh, you know uh, um, the u s is just, and you know this uh, the, <laughs> the, the entertainment culture is very big, yeah, and yeah. Christians are very open to engage with it and I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but that's not what Christians are used to back home hmm. uh, there's there's more of a <clears throat> almost like subconscious um, you know uh, border. When you talk about spiritual things, you're not you're not using, like, soccer illustrations okay. to illustrate biblical ideas. And here, people will easily use, like, a baseball, uh, you know, or, a baseball yeah. game or whatever to describe some kind of biblical teaching. Right. Or even a pop culture, like a yeah. Justin Bieber reference right. throwaway or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, our pastor, a couple of weeks ago, he he, like, quoted the song text of a of a famous song. Hmm. Uh, that's that's not something Christians in the Netherlands are used to. Uh, I mean there, there are people who are pushing that, you know, that yeah. but generally uh, and, and then and then added to that that you know, we don't we don't play American football, we don't <laughs> play baseball. We don't you know, there's just a lot of stuff that's very particular to yeah. the US.
0: Dude, Americans obsession over football. It, is, it, it's incredible. Crazy. <laughs> it's incredible. Like you can't even prepare yourself for it until yeah. you come here. Yeah. Like people are f- more, people will more quickly identify with what team they mm. like than almost any other distinguishing factor yeah. about them. I'll find out what team they root for, like college <laughs> football, before their religion, before their like background, more often before they were, even before where they're from. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's tough.
1: Especially coming from a country where you don't know anything about this. And yeah. <laughs> it's 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 for a lot of people the first point of contact. Like how you know, your first conversation is about football. Yeah. And I don't know even I, I can't even come up with one name of a player. I I have no idea. Yeah. Which is fine, I'm also not interested in
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean you play you play uh you play soccer and right. football, right? Real football. Real football. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, we had we had a we had a trivia night. Um, we was there, mm. and that uh, we had the other day. And uh, one of the questions, and you know, I was like, basically like, hey guys, can you do? I'll do a lot for trivia, but don't even look at me for sports questions, mm. right? Don't even try. Then one of the questions, you know, comes up. Uh, what is the hockey team that is based out of Toronto, Canada? crickets across the entire mm. room the only thing that's broken that sound is me laughing because oh that's my. the one sports team that i was like <laughs> yep i actually know that one and the teams on either side of mm-hmm. us are just like dumbfounded it was so stinking funny yeah but yeah that's it i can't i couldn't name a single yeah. football player here i don't yeah. tom brady he's football I oh think. i know that one yeah. yeah okay there we go look okay. at us we're, we're solely assimilating <laughs> into the culture
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome
0: yeah yeah that's fun have you have you met mark ever chad with him uh,
1: yeah, I I have I've met him twice. Okay. I only talked to him briefly, um but yeah, I I um I'm very I really appreciate what he's doing. Mm. And the model that he is to so many people. And at the same like even though he's like kind of well known, he's absolutely not focused on that. He's focused mm. on his local church, mm. which is what he preaches, you know. He he's he's teaching that we should as Christians be plugged into our local churches and should live our Christian lives uh, in connection to and in context of our local churches. And pastors should first and foremost attend to their sheep in their local church and yeah. should not be busy with uh, huge ministries outside of the church. You know, that's only a, a secondary thing. So uh, I, I would love to to do the internship at CHBC. Yeah. Um, that, that might happen Is at that, some point. That's up in... Um in, in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where the, the church where, where Mark Dever pastors. Uh, but yeah, for anyone who's, who's interested, like we can go through all the ecclesiology of nine marks, but um, yeah, f- yeah, definitely look up what they're doing. Um, pick up, they, they have this this series that's called uh, um, the Building Healthy Churches series. Mm-hmm. There's these small books on different topics. Um, and just pick up one and start reading it and see what, what they're all about. Um, and and obviously the the their standard work is is called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, right. where where they where, where Mark basically walks through what he thinks biblically are nine marks of a New Testament healthy church. Mm. Uh, so
0: didn't he add a couple recently? Yeah, I think I sort of heard about this. I don't yeah,
1: know. they they were thinking there uh, there were two <clears throat> more marks that they thought were important. Um, on the, from the top of my head, I think it was uh, prayer and missions. Okay. And I think what they did instead of adding two marks, <laughs> you get uh, the whole
0: brand name's about to crumble. Well,
1: they could just like the eleven th- marks. It's you know their logo is IX right now, right? right. Mm. So the Roman numerals for for nine, but you could like turn it around and you get XI, you got eleven. Yeah, that's that's what they needed. But no, they in the latest edition, the fourth edition of Nine Marks of the Healthy Church, um, I think they they put two mark in two chapters. They put two marks together, so right. it's still nine. Right there's two points added. Uh, and it's not like, you know, they they're not saying it's it's an exhaustive list, but it's a good sure. summary yeah. of of what the New Testament teaches about mm. what it means to be church. And I think it's 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 very helpful. And it and it really changed my my view on um, what it means to be a Christian and what is our mission in the world. You know, because as you could hear from my experience um it was kind of these these different shots in the dark that we were trying to reach people with, which is great. I mean, praise the Lord that we could do a Bible study and an initiative online, and you know, go out to evangelize. Um, but all those different things that are good and 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 biblical, they they come together in the local church. Yeah. And and so that teaching really helped me, and, and rooted me um, in in a biblical understanding of what the Christian life looks like, mm. and and gave me a path forward. And, and, and that's when I started to consider pastoral ministry, um, which kind of naturally flowed from that. Yeah. Since I didn't know healthy churches around me in the city I was living at, um, and I visited Capitol Hill a couple of times, and I started reading, and just seeing like, wow, this would be amazing if we would have something like this in... Yeah. In the city I'm living, and there's six hundred thousand people there, and there might be some churches that preach the gospel. Um, or and maybe there is a healthy church that I don't know of, but most of the churches that I know, uh, were not healthy. Mm. We're not, by any stretch of the imagination, um healthy. So, you know, that that really came together into this this uh aspiration mm. to come here and, and and study and hopefully get equipped. To get back and and do yeah. that, so
0: awesome. What's uh I see you brought. Uh, that's Hamilton's new book on typology. That's right. Yeah. I see he's doing a signing on twos. That's right.
1: I yeah. Think? So the book isn't officially isn't out till February twenty second. Really. Uh, but we get it early. But because, Southern students get it early. Yeah. That's so hilarious. We have an early release. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a new book. Yeah. shameless plug. This is my pastor and <laughs> my favorite professor here, and yeah. he well, wrote a book. Let me, see it. let me take a look. Yeah, for sure.
0: Let's just like we were talking about this before. Um, Christian book titles, or mm. sorry, book uh, covers mm. have gotten so good in the oh, last yeah, this one five ten years. Awesome. This is this is a beautiful. Absolutely. Typology: Understanding the Bible's promise-shaped patterns, yeah. how Old Testament expectations are fulfilled in Christ. Yeah. James M. Hamilton Jr. Yeah, that's cool. Have you ch- you've had a chance to read it already?
1: Yeah, I, I had the privilege of reading an early. Oh, you're copy translating of it? it, of course. I'm not translating this one. Oh, you're not. Yeah. Okay, Hopefully sorry. at some point. Different one. Uh, different one. So he has a small booklet that's called What is Biblical Theology, which okay. is an introduction to biblical theology. And one of the things that biblical theology is about is typology. And hmm. so this is a book on typology, four hundred pages of uh I think glorious content. Yeah. Uh it's glorious because the Bible is glorious and he tries to point that out. Yeah. So yeah, if, if you didn't if you didn't recognize that already, um, there are two things that I'm very much excited about. It's ecclesiology and biblical theology, and I think they're very much connected and mm. help each other. But um, yeah, another another big thing that happened uh, on the one hand, this nine marks ecclesiology thing that happened in my life, opening my eyes to to God's plan for a Christian in the world, and the other one was biblical theology. So mm. when I visited seminary here at Southern. uh, They gave me a free book called What is Biblical Theology by Dr. James M. Hamilton. I had no idea who that was. At home, I started reading it, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. So I bought his big book, God's Glory and Salvation Through Judgment, a biblical theology of the whole Bible. Started reading through that, and I thought, this is amazing. Picked up some of his other books, picked up some other books from professors here, and um, fell in love with the bible even more and with mm. biblical theology in particular.
0: Yeah. Dude same. Like <clears throat> I know uh the Bible Project podcast mm. has has its loves loves and ha- love uh, devotees and haters on mm-hmm. this campus. Yeah. Um but they just got me to fall in love with biblical theology mm. cuz that's their their focus. Right. They're not they're not systematics guys and yeah. they they're very open about that. Mm-hmm. But like just yeah, exploring themes like how language is used in Genesis one through eleven, and it sets mm. up, you know, repeated, um, repeated themes and repeated uses of, of situations that play mm. out through the entire rest of the Pentateuch. Like, right. oh, it's it's so it's amazing. Yeah, it's so cool to see all the, the the themes and the way the Bible is a unified
1: story. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, I I. I uh... I would just encourage people to uh, also look up Bible Talk, uh, mm-hmm. podcast by Nine Marks um, with Dr. Hamilton on it and some others. It's where my, my two worlds meet, ecclesiology yeah. <laughs> through Nine Marks and biblical <laughs> theology for Dr. Hamilton, and uh, Sam Amati is and Alex Duke are the other two. Um, I, I, I love a lot of what, what uh, the Bi- uh, Bible Project is doing. I think there are some, some issues there uh, in some of their theology. Sure. Uh, I think we can be, and this is a tendency, sadly, in the biblical theology world where um, biblical theology is used to get people away from uh, orthodox understandings of scripture and almost taking away at the divine uh, inspiration and um, divine uh, glory of Mm. the Bible and, and almost pushes it down to just a human work of literary art instead right. of um, being, for example, historical, being inspired by God. Even though th- they do a lot of good work, I, I think th- there is a way so gloriously to to hold on to orthodox understanding of mm-hmm. the scriptures and doing biblical theology. I think you, the only well, you way to, to do biblical yeah. theology well is through that. And um, yeah, so so definitely <clears throat> yeah. check out that podcast. And just, just to, I mean, I love biblical theology. And I love talking about it. So I just want yeah. to throw it in there. Uh, for people who, who don't understand, you know, we, we kind of jumped from throw
0: it. Yeah, throw a definition in there. It's a good yeah, idea. So,
1: so there are different definitions out there. Um, but I, I'll just give you one that I think is very useful. It's it's Dr. Jim Hamilton's. Um, and he, he defines biblical theology as, when you do that, biblical theology, what you're trying to do is to, Uh, understand and embrace the interpretive perspective and worldview of the biblical authors. And I think this is, I think, an orthodox and healthy and and biblical understanding of biblical theology, since it not only tries to understand what the author of the Bible is doing, which I think is what biblical theology tries to get at, Mm. but it's also trying to read it as scripture in the sense that we're trying to embrace this worldview. So the author has this worldview and the author has this interpretive perspective when they when they write. You know, for example, Isaiah, he mm. he has the scriptures that came before him. He reads that and he knows those scriptures. And 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 you know the Spirit of God leads him to write his prophecy. And he is using earlier scripture in his presentation of the message of God. Mm. And so when he's writing His message down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, his perspective on earlier scripture comes out. So you you can see how he's looking at earlier scripture. Mm. And so this is what you would call an interpretive perspective. And then what he's doing is also looking forward to the future and describing the future from this interpretive perspective. And this interpretive perspective becomes a worldview. Mm. It's, It's a way that the biblical authors look at the world. And that's why I love this, this definition that Hamilton uses because what it says is not only we're trying to get at what the authors of the Bible were, were trying to say, you know, we want, to, we want to understand what they were communicating through the scriptures, mm. but once we, are, once we figure out what that is, we want to actually embrace it so that mm. when we look at the world, when we encounter difficulties, that we're going to respond in the same way and that we're going to read the world the way the biblical authors read the world, because the biblical authors are inspired by the Holy Spirit.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So that would be a definition of biblical theology for those who are interested. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the thing with biblical theology is it's, to some degree, an intentionally limited uh, discipline Mm. in the sense of there's a lot of things biblical theology doesn't try to answer or go. Mm. Right, And then that's when you move from biblical theology to systematic theology. Right. And systematic theology is based on good biblical theology. Mm-hmm. It says, all right, once we understand some of these things, how do we then collect, organize, and expound on mm-hmm. those so that we're creating new mm-hmm. things for the church for today right. to address the current problems that we have? Yeah. And so I've been, like, I've been guilty of sort of pitting the two against each Mm. other, you know, sometimes. Mm. Because I love biblical theology. I'm I'm much more comfortable there. Mm. Um, I'm I'm so much more, I'm more happy chewing on um, Near Eastern covenant Mm. treaties and and trying to figure all that Mm -hmm. out than I am discussing the intricacies of the Trinity. But I know it's like I took, um, taking some systematics classes here has helped me really Mm. appreciate some of the the depths and necessity of good uh, systematics.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Can, can I try to? I, I just always love to, when when people are new to this and maybe have heard these these things for the first mm. time, there there are just these beautiful, glorious things in the scriptures that I think draw you in to think more about biblical theology. And I I, I brought one example with me. Oh, right, let's go. Um, let's go. And it's it's actually um, again. I, Please go read "What Is Biblical Theology" by Dr. Hamilton. <laughs> you know, I'm standing Shout on the on the Hamilton. shoulders of giants. I, he he uses a lot of other people, and, and there are a right. lot of you know um, G.K. Beale is a great biblical theologian, mm-hmm. um, and there are many others that that have done great work. Dr. Schreiner here at, at Southern Schreiner great. Uh, is, dude. How much great. fun is his class right now? It's it's amazing. Man.
0: Oh, man, we're both in uh, New Testament too, with Schreiner, and it's it. I'm having a ball. It's, it's really it's so cool. The guy's brilliant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I I just want to. Dr. Hamilton starts his typology book with this example, and I think it's a beautiful example of what biblical theology tries to do. You know, when I, when I talk about biblical theology, it's it all sounds a little abstract, so I think it's mm. always cool to give just, like, one example to draw people in, and, yeah. you know, they can yeah, buy books sure. about it when they want to know more. I'm, I'm not a professor, but uh, you've heard some good books I mentioned, so... Please, by all means, uh, buy those. But I just want to want to give one quick example of what uh, biblical theology and typology l- look like. Um, and I think a good example is w- we find it early on in the scriptures um, in Genesis twelve. So I just want to walk through a little typology here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's actually uh, Dr. Hamilton in his typology book, the new book that we just mentioned. He starts with this example, and I think it's a it's a great example. Um, so in in as some of you know, in Genesis 12, the Lord calls Abraham. Mm. He's still called Abram at that point, and he g- gives him these these great promises. So he calls uh, Abram and says, go from your country in 12, verse 1, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And you And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we got this promise of the gospel that we know will be fulfilled ultimately in Christ. And then in verse 7, the Lord says to Abraham as an extra promise, uh, to your offspring, I will give this land. So uh, God promises the land Canaan to Abraham, Mm. as we know. And it's interesting when you skip to chapter 24, this language of to your offspring, I will give this land is repeated in Genesis 24 when Abraham is calling uh, his servant to go and look for a wife for his son, Isaac. So, Isaac is, as we know, the promised son that uh, God had promised to Abraham, and through him, this blessing, the blessing of Abraham, is going to go forth, Mm. and as the Lord uh, had cursed the Canaanites, Abraham... In faith, does not obtain a wife from the Canaanites for his son, but asks the servant to get one from his home country. And so, as he calls his servant, he says to him, uh, "See to it that you not that you uh, do not take my son back there." So he doesn't want Isaac to go back because the promised land is where they are. Yeah. And then he says, Abram, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land. So he's repeating the promise of the Lord back in Genesis 12. He says, he, he says this to his servant who is about to go out on this journey to find a wife for Isaac. Mm. Abram says, the Lord will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Now, I believe that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, that he was the author who put it together. That doesn't mean this is not historical, this is absolutely historical, but he phrases certain things in certain ways mm. to help us understand um, connections, help us see connections between different stories. Now, this phrase, he, the Lord, will send his angel before you, will, re- will be repeated in Exodus. Um, so in Exodus 23, Uh, 23 verse 20 we find this phrase again interestingly the situation is very different Uh, as you might know the Israelites are in bondage in Egypt they're slaves there and God is calling Moses to bring them out of the country out of the land of Egypt and what the Lord is telling Moses is uh, sorry, what, is, what the Lord is is telling uh, um, Israel through his servant Moses mm. is this. So they're, they're, they've been brought out of Egypt, and the Lord says, Behold, 23 verse 20, Exodus 23 verse 20, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. And that phrasing is exactly the same in Hebrew. Um, Behold, I send an angel before you. Mm. And so the Lord is saying to his servant Moses that this people that he just has obtained from Egypt, he's going to send his angel before him and bring them back to the promised land. So what Moses is doing here is describing this whole exodus out of Egypt back to the promised land as if he, like Abraham, is sending his servant Moses to obtain a wife. For him, mm. so you got this imagery later on that Israel is defined as, as 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 the wife of Yahweh, and yeah. you know they become adulterers and everything. Um, and, and here we see kind of the seeds of that. So the Lord, I think Moses intentionally tries to set up this connection, mm. so that when you read that, you're like, oh wait a second, it is as if the Lord is obtaining a wife for Himself, just like Abram sent his servant to obtain a wife. Now God sends His servant Moses. Moses identified as the servant of the Lord to obtain a wife. Now, we can, you know, you can say this is just a coincidence that this language is used, but it seems like other authors in the Old Testament pick up on this, mm-hmm. and that they, that they understand what, what Moses is doing here, and that these, that these events, these, these experiences of the people of God and these promises that God gives, I will send my messenger before you, are being repeated and they pick up on that and they understand this has some um, redemptive historical importance Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and because the promise goes the promise of Abraham goes from Abraham to Isaac to Israel right and so we know that Israel rebels when they uh, when they go to the promised land and they ultimately rebel against the Lord and get kicked out in exile one of the prophets who speaks of this is Malachi and you know that the prophets speak a lot about judgment, but there's also hope. Mm. The prophets talk about this future salvation. And often they describe this future salvation in Exodus-like terms. And just like Abraham was called from his land, Israel's called from Egypt. And in the future, Israel, the people of God will be called again out of exile. And Malachi, when he is speaking of this future hope, says in Malachi 3, verse 1, Behold, says the Lord... I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Again, the same phrase. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So Malachi is promising uh, this future salvation through this messenger that will be sent just like with Abraham, just like with Moses. Now, if you think about this, Isaiah also talks about this future salvation in Isaiah 40, and what he says, we'll see that this is going to matter when we go to the New Testament. Mm. Uh, Isaiah 40 says, talking about uh, the future salvation, Isaiah 40 verse 1 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the lord's hand double for all her sins so this is future salvation. this future uh, deliverance and then it says a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make straight in the desert a highway for our god so throughout isaiah, isaiah is, is speaking about future salvation he speaks mm. a lot about it in exodus-like terms so that this future salvation is going to look like the exodus of old but then a climax of it and when we then come to the New Testament, and we go to the Gospel of Mark, and I think this is glorious, this is how the Gospel of Mark starts. With all this in our back, back of our, our, mm, our minds, yeah. it says, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, what we just read, Behold, I sent my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And then we read of John appearing as the messenger of the Lord, who makes straight the path of the, of, of the coming Messiah. And Jesus Christ is coming to obtain for himself a wife,
0: which is the Church. So that's legitimately incredible.
1: I think that's that's just an amazing and glorious example of how. Biblical theology works, how typology works, and how the authors of the Bible saw and recognized these patterns, understand these promises to be not only talking about this instance of his you know, of this historical event, mm. but that they understand them redemptively. They see mm. the people of God go through these, go through these experiences, and the Lord promises these things, and just like he saved in the past, he will save in the future. And then when we come to the climax, the anti-type, as it were, the fulfillment of it all, we read in Mark that Mark brings all these things together. Yeah. And he identifies John the Baptist as the messenger who was sent before, uh, before the Lord to make straight the paths of the Messiah.
0: Yeah. And that's where it's so cool that you have the incredible depth of mm. these stories where like, if you just read them, you're you're going to miss, if you just read them casually, just right. kind of peruse the Bible, you're going to miss this incredible depth of... John the Baptist has something very real to do with right. Abraham sending uh, mm. his message out to Isaac. Right. That's not immediately apparent unless you're really tracing mm. these themes and really seeing where they flow and adapt right. and develop and how the prophets look at it. Yeah. That's so cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, I just, it's just an example, um, but that's I think mm. the beauty because it's it, it draws you to the glorious beauty of the scriptures, mm. and you know you, you have all these discussions about inerrancy and about you know is the Bible truly inspired by by God, but I feel like when when you go into the weeds of what is the text saying, and you see these glorious patterns yeah. and, and of the Lord's salvation. You know, you don't even think about those technical questions anymore. It's just the glory of the Lord you know, shining from the pages of Scripture, mm. leading you to Christ and seeing His glory and just making, him, ma- making you love Him more and making you to love the Scriptures more. So I think, you know, biblical theology is not just a, a fun thing, a fun uh, theological undertaking. It is ultimately it's for discipleship. It's yeah. teaching us that we, that we can see the world through the lens of the Scriptures mm. and um, that this is real. We are truly um, we are truly part of this story, yeah we are truly the wife that God has obtained that Christ has obtained um, for himself and we we truly are the fulfillment of this pattern of mm. yeah. sitting here um, and you know the, the church everywhere
0: yeah that, that should cause us to praise more yeah. I think, because you know you can say it tritely, like you're a sinner, mm. God save you from your sins, okay, right, cool. but when you start painting the contours of mm. of these statements with like a rich, rich biblical history right that adds weight to your to our mm. experiences and weight to our story and and where we are as right. as fallen sinners and then redeemed by Christ, new creation, it's amazing,
1: amen. yeah, amen. Yeah, so I'll look, I'll I just wanted it. to share that and yeah. hopefully get people into biblical theology a little bit.
0: Yeah, we could definitely, uh, we could use more of that. Yeah. Sweet. What do you say? Do you have any more any more thoughts or shall we wrap this up? We've been recording yeah. for a little over an hour.
1: Yeah, that's, so. I, I didn't expect it to be that long. Yeah. I mean, I don't have that much to say. I'm I'm young.
0: I don't, I don't yeah. know a lot, but. <laughs> that's, that's that's the thing of, you know, anything we say, it's because we read it in, in mm. books of better men, right? Yeah, so. amen. But so. that's, the, that's the fun part. That's why we're at seminary. Yeah. So.
1: Praise the Lord. Yeah. Dude, I'm really, i
0: really... Go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I would just encourage people to to, uh, to look into these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's not just some kind of hobby that I think ecclesiology is important and biblical theology is important. Mm. I think both things are very, very important. Um, and they change my life and um, they might change yours. So uh, please look into these things uh, because I, I do think if we want to partake in God's story in the world. Mm. So he, here's just, just one more little plug for ecclesiology and biblical theology. Here's, <laughs> here's where the rubber meets the road. If we, wanna, if we believe we're truly part of God's story, which is biblical theology, understanding how we are part of mm-hmm. God's story and how God's story works in the world, if we want to be truly part of this story, we, we need to understand what the Bible teaches about being church and being part of his body. And so biblical theology helps us to understand that and then gets practical in ecclesiology in, you know, loving and serving the local church and being a witness to the nations and in that way fulfilling uh, the Great Commission. So mm. all those things I think come together. So I would, I would encourage people to look into that and, uh, you know, see the glories of the scriptures and, and, be, and be, a, uh, be a witness for Christ.
0: Amen. Couldn't have said it better. Lawrence, this has been really fun. I really Thanks, enjoyed man. this conversation.
1: Appreciate being on this podcast with you.
0: Alrighty. Thank you for listening to this podcast's conversation. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and sharing and all that jazz. It's immensely helpful. I'm all about having meaningful, interesting conversations. So if you know of someone I should talk to, hit me up on Instagram at it's the volk. Have a good one, guys.